I know, right now it kind of sounds like I'm describing a wasteland. <laughs> I feel like I'm a, in a post uh, I feel like Post Galapagos wasteland. It's the Doom to Fail podcast. I am a host of the show, Catherine Cogert, and with me, through the magic of the internet, is Evansville, Indiana's foremost king of disco, Tim Dobbs. <laughs> that's that's absolutely true, and I want to say it sounds like it's a low bar, but it's not. A lot of <laughs> disco in Evansville. A lot of disco. I saw that competition. It was impressive. <laughs> hey, it's good to be here. Good to have you here. Listeners of the show will know that we have several different series that we roll through, and each series focuses on some sort of connection between engineering and society, or at least that's what we tell ourselves so that we can sleep at night. Mm. This week, what are we doing, Tim? This week, it's happy hour. I can walk straight, the whole world is tasting sour, I just want a deep wait, it's that time, it's happy hour. And specifically, wine tasting. Mm. <laughs> I could see you're pretty happy. <laughs> well, this is good. I'm really excited about this because as as we just talked about, I don't know anything about wine tasting. Nothing. Yes, we we were transposing the US class system onto knowledge of wine and we said that you would be on food stamps. Wine stamps. Wine stamps. They should have those. <laughs> I'm pretty sure there's a good reason why they don't have them. Oh, come on. <laughs> they would have them in France. For a lot of reasons, I guess. Well, so I wanted to uh, put us into a scene, if you okay. don't mind. Okay. This is this is our approach. I'm going to put um, my f acting French beret on. <laughs> it looks nice. Thank you. Yeah. Very serious. I can tell you're an artist. That, that's yeah. the cigarette talking. Yeah, yeah. definitely. <laughs> so here we are, right? We're, we drove our car up. This is, folks at home, this is, uh, when we say wine tasting, it is a specific thing. It's not just drinking wine. Wine tasting is a very specific, special thing. So special. So we're driving up to a vineyard. Um, in my case, it's usually in California. So let's say that. Okay. So we're out there in the sort of uh, Napa Valley, perhaps. And we, we drove our car because how else are you going to get out to a vineyard? Because they're far away. They are far. You can't get a limousine, but let's uh, let's avoid that right now. Well, I am on wine stamps, so. Oh, uh, yeah. Did you run out of limo stamps this month? <laughs> you waste them at the beginning of the month. You need I'm to learn sorry. limo stamp management. Oh, my goodness. Anyway, so we pull up some, some very nice vineyard dogs meet us. And then we walk into, uh, there's some kind of sign pointing us to, like, tasting room. You good? I'm good. I see it. Is, wait, is the sign cursive? I imagine it's cursive. It might be cursive, but the other thing it might be is sort of uh, wacky and artsy. Okay. Yeah. It's not neon, is it? 
No, okay. no. Okay. That would be kind of cool, but no. So we walk in, and there's a lot of uh, couples. <laughs> a lot of middle-aged, middle-to-do couples. Okay. Middle-to-do. Middle-to-do. As, as always, these podcasts are secretly about the class system. <laughs> So we walk up to the bar, and uh, there's a, a nice gentleman or a lady behind it. In this case, we'll say a gentleman, because I will be playing the role of the uh, the man behind the counter. So it'll be something like this. You ready to do a scene? Yes. <clears throat> Why, hello, my good sir. She said, wearing her fantastically silly hat. I'm uh, here to sample some wine. Could you please oh. direct me to the best kind of wine? Well, let's get you started. Uh, we have a flight of wine, which is like five wines that we like to have in our tasting room. And uh, today, uh, let's get you all glasses. Uh, there may be a small tasting fee, which will be waived if you purchase wine. Because really, I'm just trying to sell you wine today. Okay. So, uh, let's get you some glasses. And uh, let's get you started on the first flight. So I'm going to gonna uncork this bottle here that I have uh, just sort of sitting around with a cork that I've been giving people. And I'm going to pour that right into your glass. Just a little bit. Just a little. You can hear the clinking because it's real. <laughs> so we'll get you started on the first flight with just a little bit here. And uh, I'm going to tell you a little bit about this wine. Now this is a local... I'll tell you the story of actually how I bought this wine. Okay. Uh, this is a... <laughs> Uh, wine that comes from a friend of mine who used to actually work at a winery in Paso Robles, California. Okay. And we visited her, her the winery she used to work at, and the guy was very nice and gave us the wine uh, discount as well, the industry discount, which was great because wow. it's delicious and didn't cost us too much. So we we uh, we like this wine a lot. Now, right there, that's an example of something that always happens, and when you're at a tasting, which is you get the story of the wine. You will always be told a little bit about it. It'll be something like, oh, so this is from the 2008 vintage, and that was the year where the weather was really bad, and Bob went out, and Bob's my wife. <laughs> Bob's my wife. Yeah, she has a Bob's beard. my wife. It's an idiosyncratic <laughs> place. And uh, she went out and, and really worked hard to, to tarp it down so the high winds didn't get it, or, you know, I'm sure that's wildly inaccurate about how you grow grapes, but the point is... Uh, there's something very special about this particular vintage, and we only got, you know, 200 bottles out of it, and, uh... You should buy you know, them all. And so that's in the stock right now. And why don't you taste it and see what you think? And so you do your little swirly thing, and you taste a little bit, and you go, uh... Oh, yeah, it's good. Okay. Wait, so there's, like, there's definitely a process to this, right? There's, like, the swirling, and the looking at it, and the light, and then the smelling. Does that... Is that a real thing? Does that matter? Yes, and this is exactly the sort of thing that you will get to learn while you uh, while you do a wine tasting because they like to they like to teach you about these things. Neat. So the swirling, it's all it's, it's all chemistry, really. Okay. They'll they'll sort of th interject little bits as you go, and every new wine you'll get a new little like tidbit of information. You get a little bit of story and a little bit of like this is how you're supposed to drink it, and. The swirling, for instance, what that does is it exposes it to the oxygen in the air. Now, what I said earlier was you exposed it to the oxygen, which meant that, oh no, it's going to start breaking down. But to the best of my understanding, you actually want a little bit of oxidation going on to sort of um, let the aromas in the flavor bloom. Right, so the swirling, one, it looks real cool, and two, 
it, it actually exposes uh, more of the wine to oxygen. But there's definitely an aesthetic element to this. It's not just purely like, well, I wouldn't do this if it had no chemical uh, benefits. There's uh, definitely an aesthetic component to wanting to do this. Oh, totally. Okay. Well, that's... Can we know. just admit that? Because I know, it, I know there is. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. <laughs> okay. Okay. I'm fine now. Uh, <laughs> um... No, no, totally. And I, I guess that's one of the, the things about the wine tasting is that a lot of times they, yeah, they don't really admit that. They they like to teach you the little bits, but they don't, you know, I'm sure they would tell you if you asked directly. But you never really get there because you get their attention for brief moments at a time and they're your best friend for, you know, a minute and then they move on. Um, Whores. Oh, God, those people. Let's see. So you've, you've tasted your first little bit. What did you think? I theoretically thought it was great. Great. So I'm going to get you started here on the second bottle that we have here on our flight down. This is a this this is a Merlot um, Mm. and it is from the North Coast. And this is a again, I'm telling you the real story of this bottle of wine for me, which is that uh, someone in this apartment bought it a week ago and it's been open for a while and I don't think it'll taste very good. (laughs) because it's been open for a while but this is the story of the wine i suspect they would be honest with you if they thought they wouldn't tell you like ah this is gonna be a really bad bottle of wine here it is i would hope that they wouldn't serve it but you know so there you go we'll get that and so i mentioned that that one was a merlot what's the difference here there you go yeah so a merlot is what you call a varietal which is really it's just a different kind of grape um the whole point there is just that the kind of grape you start with matters your your basic feedstock matters oh and we should we should loop back for a second just to point out that yeah you make wine pretty much the same way you make everything else we've talked about in this series it's just you start with grapes you just ferment it like there's nothing to it right um yeah uh, there's details of course so what i want to talk to you about then is well what's the difference between a red wine and a white wine i had always thought that it was like the green grapes that you buy at the store for white wine and the red grapes for red wine I actually thought this until like yesterday too. Okay. Um, but I looked it up and no, you get red wine by including the skin in the fermentation process. So a lot of the, um, like if you look inside a red grape, just mm-hmm. the, the like fruit itself, not the skin, yeah. is green. It's the same color as the yeah. one from the green grapes, more or less. Yeah. So wait, just to be totally clear, if you ferment, can you ferment uh, the green grapes with the skin? Does anyone ever do that? My understanding is yes, and that results in a white wine, Okay. but I'm not positive. Okay. But that's the big difference, is whether or not you have the skin, and that skin includes tannins, which are, to the best of my knowledge, a dark-colored thing. I know about tannins. Tell me about them. Okay, so you know when you have a cup of green tea, and you steep it for too long, and it gets bitter? Mm Mm-hmm. That's because it also gets darker, you'll notice. And the tannins are not only making it darker, they're also adding that really bitter flavor to it yes i get that and and from my understanding uh black tea has more tannins yes and that's why it's darker so that's the big difference is these tannins the tannins add a lot of flavor and sort of just complexity white wine is essentially fermented grape juice and red wine is fermented grape juice with some stuff in it and so that's why a Red wine will be considered full-bodied or juicy or something like that, whereas a white wine is often uh, lean and crisp, or sometimes they age it in barrels, and so it'll be oaky or something like that. Okay. 
Don't they also age red wine in barrels, though, so that it can get oaky as well? Yes, which is actually why there's added complexity. In fact, white wines are often aged in stainless steel barrels. So really? they that's why they would be lean and crisp, whereas right. if you age them in an oak barrel, yeah. Because you're not going to get a lot of leaching if you put it in a stainless steel barrel. That's correct. Leaching being what is transferred from the container to the wine. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you don't get very much of that. This is, I mean, this is uh, why aging is such a thing with all alcohols. I mean, wine and also uh, liquors is because alcohol is a really good solvent and it just grabs chemicals from whatever vessel it's sitting in. So like the walls of the chemical. Cool. Yeah. And so that's why red wines are like just so much more going on is because they're usually aged in oak barrels or wooden barrels, my understanding. Plus they have the tannins. And so there's just a lot of flavors. Okay, so let's move on to our third flight of wine. Got to have the sound effects. And as I pour you this one, which I don't have a story for because I, I only have two bottles sitting in front of me right now. Only two bottles. Jeez. So this is a mysterious what bottle a of wine that's more theoretical than real? Yeah, exactly. It's, okay. it's, it's Schrodinger's bottle of wine. <laughs> Until you drink it, it may or may not be alcoholic. I would get in to that. To that wine tasting, quantum wine tastings, I'd huh. be into that. As I pour you this wine, I'm going to tell you about regions and why they matter. The first thing we talked about in the sort of uh, how are wines different from one another was just what kind of grape does it start with? And also whether or not you leave the skin in. But this other thing is region. Where does it come from? Is it from the Napa Valley in California? Is it from, I don't know, where do you grow wine in, in Washington? I know you do. Uh, but. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What? It's a big wine tasting country. It's definitely in sort of the south or southwestern corner of Washington. We grow wine, like south of Seattle. Yeah. Okay. So it could be from there. It could be from uh, Bordeaux in France. You know all this, all this stuff. Champagne and in France. There you go. <laughs> We're not even talking about champagne today. That's a whole other podcast, maybe, maybe. But why the hell does that matter? It turns out because our stupid taste buds are stupidly sensitive. And we can taste all these, like, you know, part per billion chemicals in the wine. So the grapes will develop differently and have different balances of chemicals in them, uh, depending on weather, soil, uh, soil content, the temperature, the sun exposure. And it just, it really goes on and on and on. And these only change the soil by, like, a little bit, like, just one more piece of, I don't know, what's an example of something that soil will change? One more piece of nutrient per billion? Something like that is, yeah, that's my understanding. Because, wow. I mean, you're still growing grapes regardless. I mean, it, it's a whole package. There's just a ton, a ton of different factors that affect it. I love biological systems for that reason, though. They're just so sensitive. There's so much going on. <laughs> Which, I mean, so this is something uh, we could touch on later. But I think this is one of the big differences between wine and hard liquor. Hard liquors, uh, the way you develop that is through non-biological systems. It's distillation. It's all this stuff. Right. But wine is just purely biological, so we have a lot less control, and all these little sensitive things really matter. Right, yeah. Here's an example that I just really liked, was that in Monterey, California, the Cabernet Sauvignon has been known to be vegetal. It's like It tastes like green peppers, is what they say. What? And the, the reason is because it's kind of cold there, and uh windy and and i guess there's some other factors as well but that keeps the grapes from fully fully ripening it's very they don't misty. get quite all the way yeah I and went to school there i know 
<laughs> you you spent many an hour staring out wistfully into, uh, into mist. a misty landscape. Yeah, <laughs> onto a misty oh. golf course. If only I were a real girl. <laughs> <laughs> and I put my hand and drag it down the window. Ah, uh, uh, well, if if you'd been a little older, then perhaps you would have had some wine with you, and you would have noticed that it tastes like this because. Uh, the lack of ripeness in the grape means a high pyrazine content, which apparently is the same flavor you get in green peppers. Mm. And that content goes down when the grapes ripen, but it never really has a chance in Monterey. Okay. So there you go. Interesting. Yeah. So, let me, let me get out our last bottle here. Another theoretical bottle. One more theoretical bottle. <laughs> uh, and I want to tell you about vintage so this theoretical bottle is from 1954 you're very impressed right Ooh. yes right she said wearing her silly hat are you going to tell me that that was a very good year was it a good year i don't, I don't know. know i'm on wine stamps i don't know yeah it doesn't matter here's why um so the reason you can say it's a good year or not is because i listed all those growing conditions and how they affect things and all of those are going to change year to year. I mean, right. the region keeps it relatively stable, but like the weather's different every year. And so there are good years and bad years. Right. And we know that all the wine within one harvest should taste about the same okay. because you do all the harvest, you throw it in a thing and you mix it up and, and then you bottle it. Uh, but it's all mixed together. And so you know that any wine labeled Dobbs Cellars from 2007 is going to taste pretty much the same. Whereas Dobbs Cellars 2007 and 2008 could be totally different. Okay. So this is how you know, like, a distinct product. Gotcha. But, now this 1954 one, I'm going to tell you, it's kind of garbage. <laughs> Maybe we should try it. It's just terrible. <laughs> Older can be better. We've been sort of trained by movies to think, oh, old wine. Because it's had more time to have stuff leach into it. Right. Well, except it's in a glass bottle. Not a lot of leaching happens in glass. Oh. Yeah. yeah, but there is chemistry that continues to happen in the wine. Okay. My understanding is one of the things is those tannins come together to form sort of uh, macro tannins. Ew. And eventually they get such big molecules that they sort of just sink out of the solution. The dregs. Yeah, exactly. And so an older bottle of wine will have these dregs and a newer bottle will not. And the dregs are, are bitter, which is why people don't like them because they're tannins. So, so that can be good if you have a high tannin wine... Or a high alcohol wine. Both of those act as preservatives. And over time, the tannins will mellow out and the sort of the, quote, flavor profile will sort of smooth over. And a lot of the bitter tones that you might have gotten from the tannins will go away. And also just, I don't know, other stuff happens. There's so much chemistry in there. Like, and it's interesting. But That's interesting. Biological systems. The bio, oh, real interesting. Oof. I'm in. I'm in. Who wants to <laughs> teach me more about this? Give me a call. <laughs> Doom to fail podcast at gmail.com. So the point is really just that, well, it could be a good thing because there's so many complex reactions going on in the bottle. But in a lot of cases, most wines actually not that good. So the year uh, on the bottle is just more about knowing, oh, well, the 2007 was good. The 2009 was pretty bad. You know, it's just a way of differentiating product. Oh, okay. The actual oldness of it. You know what it reminds me of? Um, so I used to work in a yarn shop because I really like knitting and we, 
if you are working on a project and say you run out of yarn for a particular project, not only mm -hmm. do you have to come back and buy the exact same brand and color, obviously, but you also have to make sure you buy the same dye lot because they come in different dye lots and each dye lot might be a little bit different. Right. It's, it's a method of determining that you have the exact same thing. There you go. So there we go. Um, and I think that's a really nice place to take a little break from wine tasting for a little bit. So we'll be back in a moment. Oh, oh, before you leave, okay. I have to ask if you want to join our wine club. No? Uh, All right, well, there's forms oh, in the back. We are talking about wine, and we just had a lovely wine tasting, and Tim's making a weird face because he just drank some bad wine, and that's a shame. But mm. we're back, and we want to know, why why are wine tastings a thing? Why bother? <laughs> I feel like this is the crux of our show. It kind of is. Well, I think we touched on it earlier when we were talking about vintages, in that well, because wine varies from year to year, and you might not get very much because at least the sort of fancy complex wines are fairly small lots. You know, there's 200 bottles of this, or there's 1,000 bottles of this, which isn't that much. You can't really have a go-to wine. You can't just go to the grocery store and be like, oh, I really like the 2003 whatever, uh, Cogurt Special. That's a, that's a good brand name, right? <laughs> the Cogurt Special. <laughs> yeah. You can have you can do that with like you know a cheaper wine something that is industrial industrially made and you know whatever it's like getting a coke like it's not bad but it's not you know you're not sitting there going like ooh look at all the fancy flavors here mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, so I think that's maybe one reason to do a wine tasting because yeah yeah, yeah. you have to go there you know. It one thing I'm thinking is I've, I've been comparing this to beer up until for the past like month, um, just sort of trying to figure out why aren't there more beer tastings and wine tastings are just rampant. And I've come to a conclusion after listening to you, Tim, and I think it's because barley kind of is probably all grown in maybe the same area. Um, you get the barley and then you ferment it and it's the feedstock's more or less the same and then it's the what you add to the feedstock that makes the beer. There's a recipe. There's a recipe. Whereas with wine there's so many different variations and grapes are so sensitive and our taste buds are so sensitive to these grapes that there's a lot more regionalism to it. Yeah I like I think maybe it's like so if you wanted to make um I don't know, uh, uh, tomatoes with like mozzarella cheese and a little bit of olive oil on top. You know, that's a very, it's, it's tasty. Um, 
Now, you can get kind of so-so tomatoes and like throw on like uh, a really strong olive oil or maybe not use mozzarella but use a, a stronger flavored cheese and like throw on a bunch of spices onto it like some basil and oregano and all this stuff and dress it up. And then, great, it still tastes good. Yeah. Whereas instead you could get like, you know, a really amazing local artist... Art- Artisan tomatoes, tomato. yes. Can you? Yeah, that's a thing. No, artisan heirloom <laughs> uh, tomatoes, they're a thing. Oh, yeah. there you go. Um, and then you add less to it and you can still, you know, and then you just sort of appreciate the complex flavors of the tomato, you know. And so in this in this analogy, wine is the sort of, um, we haven't spiced it up as much because there's less in the recipe. Right. And so the basic ingredients need to, you know, we, we care more about the basic ingredients. I, I like Matt? it. No, that's a good yeah. analogy. I like it, Tim. Cool. Well, great. Uh, <laughs> and the other thing I wanted to touch on oh. is the... Well, one, I'll mention this because I like this analogy too. I have two analogies this show. Two <laughs> analogies? That's yeah. one analogy too many. Yeah, well... This is a one analogy podcast. <laughs> so my, my analogy here is so if we want to say that wine and beer have this relationship where beer is a sort of more complex recipe, well, then wine and liquor, I, I like the idea that if liquor is a CD, some recorded music, then wine is sort of a live performance in that we only get small lots of it. You know, we can't we can't assure ourselves that it's going to taste exactly the same because there's all these crazy biological factors that affect how it tastes. So, you know, I can go see Cheap Trick uh, in 1980 and hear him play Surrender and it's awesome. And then I can tell people about that and remember it and it was great. And then I can go see him in 1990 and they'll probably play Surrender again, but it won't be the same version you know it'll be real close 1990 was a rough year for cheap trick yeah <laughs> bob my wife had to go out put a tarp over him <laughs> <laughs> but you get what i'm saying like liquor you can depend on tasting exactly the same i see what you're saying yeah and wine seems a little more uh, floaty one more okay <laughs> okay oh so <sighs> analogy overflow it's not this one actually is not an analogy okay but so i think an important factor in wine tasting and why you have to sort of go to this place and interact with people which is the worst um is the sort of story of the wine which i touched on earlier when i was sort of doing my terrible faux uh wine tasting every time they pour some wine for you they tell you a story about that wine they tell you what's special about this where it comes from i've been to a place where the guy used to be an airline pilot and he tells this whole story about how he used to uh, make his wine in lax because that was the only place in L.A. that was uh, you could do it legally. Okay. I know a, a guy who's from New Zealand, and everything is New Zealand-themed. Uh, you know, it's, it's all this stuff, right? So, so you have to have a story to the wine. And the reason is that, one, you need it so you can remember the wine, because all wines look pretty similar. And it's actually really hard to remember tastes without creating a verbal association. You can't really remember a taste exactly. I can completely see that being true. I like yeah. that. Also, I mean, come on, the wines taste fairly similar, and so uh, we need uh, we need a story to have a distinctness. Be like, ooh, well, this one is from my New Zealand friend, and this one is, you know, whatever. From my airline friend, yes. Yes, yeah. exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And finally, to connect it back to what I was saying f- before about live performance, it kind of helps lengthen the experience. You're not just pouring the wine in, taking a sip, let's go. It kind of draws it all out and you experience it. And it's, you know, it's just one more piece that you all put in. And so it makes it more special. And if you're going to pay $30, $40 for a bottle, geez, it better be special, huh? Sure. 
I also can, I can tie that into why wine is for fancy people. It's because luxury and drawing things out is for people who have a lot of time on their hands because they have so much money. They have a lot, they don't have to work. This is true. And so, so are, so are expensive bottles of wine, I suppose. Hmm. hmm. Yeah. And I guess something I, I di wasn't really thinking about was that, I mean, wine is cheap or it can be, but wine tastings are always expensive because it's complex, difficult wine. Um, <laughs> so maybe that's, I mean, that's, that's a very simple reason for why it's fancy. Because <laughs> wine, you can buy wine for like $2, like a whole, and Two I mean, check Trader Joe's. Yeah, exactly. Like wine is not expensive. So, so yeah, I guess that's the other thing about why it's fancy is like, well, it's worth really paying attention to all these details <laughs> yeah. because we have the time because we're rich people. Oof. La la la. Who don't need wine stands. <laughs> You know, Tim, why do 1% of the people have 99% of the wine stamps? That's what I want to know. <laughs> Wait, <laughs> I'm confused. So in this theory, we have, it's not that you can, you cannot buy wine with money. It's not acceptable. <laughs> Instead, you use, uh, you use your power and connections to gain wine stamps, which then you can use to purchase wine. Which then, of course, it's cyclical, so because you can throw dinner parties with your fancy wine to get more connections to get more wine stamps. Boy, gosh, this, this wine stamp economy is really unfair. Unbalanced. I know, I know, that's what I'm saying. That's yeah. what I've been trying to tell you the whole episode. What happened to, what happened to good old American, uh, you know, pull yourself up by your bootstraps? Your pull wine yourself straps. up by your wine stamps. <laughs> <laughs> well, on that uh, note... <laughs> Oh, man, this has been another excellent episode of the Doom to Fail podcast. Um, and uh, mm -hmm. next week, do you know what we're talking about, Tim? It's hard when you're on the spot like this. We're talking about, oh, my goodness, I know what we're talking about. We're starting a new series, Cooking with Tim and Catherine. All right. I hope you come back next week because we sure like talking at you. Mm -hmm. So it's Tim Dobbs over there. And Catherine Cogut over here. All right, now, bye. 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 She sees what bye. she wants to see.